a Steve Mathis production. Check it out, Pulp MX fans. We're proud to announce iPhone users can now get the official Pulp MX app from the App Store and have archives, show drops and technical info, stories, and even exclusive bonus Pulpcasts not available anywhere else. As always, use the Mathis code at btosports.com. And when buying from Amazon, click the banner on pulpmx.com to show your support. episode of the Steve Mathis show there is a high chanceability you will either learn something a lot of people don't know be left thinking or make you say to yourself dude that's so funny the bottom line is this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview welcome to the racer x podcast show brought to you by btosports.com hosted by Steve Mathis Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. I'm back after a little while off, Steve Mathis, and I thought to myself, who did I want to get on this show that would be interesting and would be funny and would be full of knowledge? And unfortunately, there's nobody available but this guy. <laughs> on the line with me is uh, Team Suzuki off uh, Team Suzuki Motocross Supercross Manager Mike Webb. Uh, Mike, what's up? Uh, just getting ready for next year. You know, yeah. that that little bit of a uh two months i guess we get to get everything up and rolling so that's what we're right in the middle of it yeah yeah thanks for doing this i appreciate it short notice too but you came through flying color so no uh, no worries <laughs> um uh yeah hey so uh let's uh let's talk about this year a little bit brett metcalf you're going in with uh with Medi only and uh obviously you worked with him last year for the first time talk about just uh, sticking with him and working with him this year yeah um the way it worked out you know at one point we were going for a second rider and and that didn't work out and then it was uh Suzuki's decision to just go uh just go with Brett for this season mm-hmm. and I think maybe the plan is to kind of wait and see uh the talent crop for you know for next year mm-hmm. the following year and then yeah. see what's available and then you know go back to a two man format after that but uh as far as Medi um you know we're the team really enjoys working with him and mm-hmm. and you know him he's he's just one of those guys that you know, it's all the cliches. It gives you 100% and hardworking and, you know, blue-collar ethic and all that. But it's it's just really rewarding working with the guy. Right. And our, and our goal this year, Steve, is basically if, if, you know, we don't, you know, how do I say this? We don't have one of the aliens, I guess. So <laughs> so if we can take Brett and take him to the next mm-hmm. level, um, right. then I look at that as a total success, and, and that's what our goal is. Um, yeah, he, he must remind you a little bit of your off-road guys, and we'll get to your past uh, your past duties at Suzuki. You must remind you a little bit of your off-road guys. No maintenance or low maintenance, uh, hard worker, good guy, and just sort of turnkey, right? I mean, you just know what you're going to get with the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really too <laughs> um, a real mature outlook towards towards his profession, um, and which it, and it makes it easy, you know, for the team to work within that. And and what's cool this year. 
it's really weird going to a one guy format, <clears> but <throat> the every guy on this team, it's a hundred percent focus on Brett. Yeah. So yeah. Every, every phase of the team, it's all geared and tailored to Brett. You know, and mm. and like I told him, I didn't. This doesn't mean I want to put some massive burden on his shoulders. Like, right, dude, right, you're right. carrying this whole thing. <laughs> it's not that at all. It's more like this is a really an opportunity of a lifetime in his career. Yeah. This this whole program is built for you. So if we can take, make the bike as good as we can possibly make it for mm-hmm. Brett Metcalf, and you raise your level, then you know you can have the best year you've ever had, and that's what we're all going to do. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting uh, decision for sure. It was uh, it had to been really awesome. To uh, to have him win last year at Southwick, I wrote this at the time. I don't think anybody in the pits was was not happy for Brett Metcalf that he that he finally won won a national, won a race. He, he deserved it. It was a long time coming. Had to be a cool feeling for you too. It, it was it, it was a weird day because we it was one of those right. super high, super low days. But at the end of the day, when both of the guys were on the podium, it was like you know right on. We we finally got we were able to give him you mm-hmm. know what he needed to get the win that day. And and like you said, I. There, especially people within the industry, I think every single person there was pumped for him. Yeah. So that was really cool. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, uh, last season he, he briefly led L.A. Supercross, first full year in Supercross on a 450. He almost made, made the podium at Oakland, and but yeah. then he, you know, he sort of crashed his way out and took some time off. So, you know, he's right there. It's not like he's, like, terrible or, or you know what I mean? Like, not like you got a lot of work to do. He's just almost there to that to that level, I think, where he can start getting on the box. You agree? I I, I agree, and and I think maybe even at the cup, he proved uh, he was a much improved uh, super. Mm-hmm. Even though it wasn't you know total supercross, he was a yeah. much improved supercross rider. And we learned a lot last year. We you know it was his first. He was actually a rookie in the 450 class, which a lot of people kind yeah. of forget right. um, in supercross. And and he was coming off a of Honda, so you know um, you know how different these bikes are. We. Mm-hmm. We had no base to start with, Brett, and we kind of, kind of let him, you know, lead the direction in testing and 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 what he felt the bike needed to be, and mm-hmm. and we kind of went down the wrong path a little bit. We kind of regrouped uh, after a couple of races and said, look, you know, I think you know we need to go this direction more, and and we started going back. And actually, I think it was Atlanta that he had the bad crash. I think it was Atlanta yeah. where he got off the whoops and dropped the wheel. Yep. Um, that week we had had a great week testing and and really made a big step and and unfortunately it all went wrong that night but since then and then we got through the afters we've learned so much about what he needs on you know power and especially chassis he's real specific on chassis mm-hmm. and a different direction than the previous guys we had worked with including his teammate last year so we've learned a lot we've gone this new direction and then every day we test we seem to be making progress so right. I'm I'm pumped um and uh, interesting uh, choice to go with just Brett. Um, as you said, Suzuki decided to do that. If he gets injured, what's going to happen? Do you have plans for that? Um, do you know what's going on with that? Because that is the risk you're taking, which, of course, you're, you're well aware of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to, you know, we'll obviously have to go with a fill-in rider. There's no set guy yeah. in that position right now. But, yeah, that truck. You know, we will have a guy on the bike at all the Supercross and Outdoors. Right, right. Hey, um... Uh, Motocross the Nations this year, uh, big buzz in the pits, even more so than the race. Suzuki race team is folding. Everybody's gone. And it wasn't didn't turn out to be true, and, and it was stressing. Uh, I know it stressed uh, Sheena Metcalf out a little bit. But um, what did happen at Suzuki? Uh, um, what You're now more an employee uh, of, uh, of Yoshimir? Yeah. Basically, 
It was an internal decision mm-hmm. by Suzuki to reduce their employees. Um, and in that decision was going to be a transition period, um, making it 100% over to Yoshimura. And mm-hmm. prior to that, uh, Ray Tillerton and I and Aki Goto were the only three Suzuki employees. Everybody else at Yoshimura on the race team, both road race and, mm-hmm. and motocross, were Yoshimura right. employees. So it was actually the final piece of the transition. I, I really think what happened, it was an internal decision, and word got out, and uh, once it went viral, it, yeah. you know, Suzuki had quit racing, You're right, and, right. Business and all that, mm-hmm. and uh, it was one, I think, kind of a missing, or uh, unfortunate situation in which it probably should have been responded to quicker, and yeah. it wasn't, um, and then, you know, the fires kind of grew, but... Yeah, it was it was the simple last piece of the transition right. over to Yoshimura, the outsourcing of the race team. Yeah, a press release coming out saying it would have stomped all that all that uh, that worry or that fire, like you said. Uh, yeah, I think it would have helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, probably would have been nice for you too, I imagine. Um, yeah, it would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what what is how do you like it? You've been there. You've been there, in Suzuki. Now that you're on the off road side, but you've been there uh, at the factory race level team. Um, as as my good friend Tony Berluti up here in Vegas, who I've spoken to about it, what's going on with Suzuki? How do you like the change over to Yoshimura? What what's good about it, uh, and what's bad about it? What, what do you think? Well, I don't really see a negative to tell you the mm-hmm. truth, because we're basically in charge of operating Suzuki's factory racing. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and I've I've been corporate since '92, corporate Suzuki, and. Um, See how do you say this? Corporations, they there's a lot you know, less red tape. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, what what I've learned is since I've come over here is um, Yoshimura is a pure. Uh, they have a pure racing DNA. Right. They 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 don't care about all the other. I mean, obviously they care about marketing and sales, but they're driven by racing, and mm-hmm. and that's their heritage. And and it's incredibly refreshing to walk into that environment. Um, honestly, Steve, I. Every day I wake up, I'm pumped to go to work just because of the environment here. Right, it's, right. It's they they always have race, they always will race, and and you know that. Where in, in the corporate world, a lot of time, you know, some years things are booming and and you know all jiggy, and then mm-hmm. other years everybody's kind of got their head down, like you know, kind of like man, is everything okay? Yeah. So is that that's removed. So it's everybody just I don't know. It just kind of frees you up to really do your job well. And, yeah. And I'm I'm stoked to, just to be here. Yeah, and I mean, when you joined Suzuki '92, like you said, that's when a period was when it was down and people were pulling out and withdrawing, and it's kind of gone up and down in waves a little bit. Like you said, as the corporate culture changes, maybe a new president comes in, brings a different philosophy. You go that way for a little while, then you come back. You know, it's uh, but yeah, exactly, but, you know, it's it's you kind of it's like going with uh, with uh, you know. In this country, it's going with a new president every four years, and everybody gets on that page, and you go that direction, and then the elections come, and it changes. The same thing happens in uh, in the Japanese corporate environment. They they get a whole new management staff in, and it's like, hey, we're all wheeling on on this direction, and, and now yeah, you yeah. got us got the brakes on, and we're going this direction. So right. it kind of went down with that over the years, and uh, it would be frustrating at times. At times, it would be great if the guy was pro racing and and aggressive. It would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But other times, it was. It was kind of thing. So what, one thing that didn't uh, survive, from what I understand, is the off-road team, huh? Um, Josh Strang defending uh, while he lost his title this year. Uh, Suzuki is not doing an off-road team, or do we do we know for sure? Or? 
You know what? I you'd probably have to talk to Pat Alexander. I don't know the final status. I'd heard the same. Yeah. Um, I was hoping it wasn't true. Um, thought that was a great program with mm-hmm. great results and and a great group of people. You know, Josh and Shane Nally Shane and those Nally, guys. Yeah. I mean, they they kicked ass for for unbelievably small resources they had to work with. They mm-hmm. accomplished a lot. So, right. um, I don't know the final call, but I. I uh, what about uh, what about you yourself? Uh, as you sit, off road manager at Suzuki for um, forever for ninety two since two thousand and nine. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, now you're in the Supercross Motocross world. Do you like it? Do you like it better? What's uh, what's different about it? How's the adjustment been for yourself? Um, the the pure racing aspect is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a Supercross race or a GNCC or a Works or what, wherever we were doing. Once the race starts, the, that intensity level is the same. I mean, right. you're you're so focused and and you've worked so hard for that one, you know, that day's event, and um, that's all the same. Um, obviously, it's it's more relaxed and off road. Uh, not as many events. Not the the media spotlight on mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Um, you know, not. Not everybody in the world, you know, um, having an opinion on what you're doing or what the team did. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, as far as Supercross and Motocross, you know, it is the highest level, and, and there's a rush with that. You know, it's right. it's it's the F1 of dirt bikes. So so to be at that level and to work with that kind of equipment and talent, you know, that's that's a great part of it. I really enjoy that. The travel that you know gets long. That's for sure. But um, guys like me writing about how you're, guys like me writing about how you run out of gas and blow motors up probably isn't isn't <laughs> yeah. it isn't the ideal part. You're like, hey, Rodney Smith blew up motors for four weeks and no one ever called me once. <laughs> Nobody said a thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you say it's uh, you say it's less intense, but let's not forget you did have Ryan Hughes on your team for a couple of years. Yeah, that was an adventure. <laughs> you know, that was definitely an adventure. <laughs> Maybe the only rider in. Uh, in in work series history to to brawl with his mechanic um, at the race, uh, probably. Yeah, he he was. Uh, it actually, it was a blast working with Ryan. He, uh, <laughs> you know, you get to know him, and, and that intensity factor is right. overwhelming. But I tell you, when the guy would put it together, he was just incredible. He uh, would just yeah. absolutely destroy. You know, um, <laughs> it just he couldn't always keep that in a bottle. It was, that was just, the whole key. So he had to self destruct at some point. Uh, and sometimes, yeah. Me and Wygant would be like, "Hey, uh, you know, at the nationals, we'd be like, uh, let's go get a rhino story from Webb. All right, let's do it." And we <laughs> we'd wander over. Okay, get tell us what tell us another good one. So, um, yeah, he came close to winning that title. Um, when you were off road, guy. How many things did you win? Did you, did you even know? A, a ton, I know. Uh, but. I think it's something like 22 championships. Wow, yeah. Work Series, yeah. GNCCs. Yeah, um, Works, Enduros, GNCC. Yeah. Sometimes we would, like, one year, um, did GNCCs uh, on two strokes, and then the same year we did uh, the Work Series uh, on four strokes, actually racing for Yoshimura. We, the old DRZ, they yeah. turned them into race bikes and Kudrowski actually won the first two works championships. Yep. So those, those were two awesome years for sure. Yeah. You had, uh, you had riders like Rodney Smith, Randy Hawkins, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kudrowski, uh, Strang, Kudrowski, Steve Hatch, Strang, Hatch Paul yeah. Edmondson, um, Where do you a st- lot of, a lot of talent there, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. At some point, all of the off-road guys, uh, a lot of the legends have ridden on Suzuki team under your watch at some point or another. So, um, yeah. 
uh, Kudrowski was always an interesting guy. I do remember those DRZs before the four strokes came out. That's right. You were building them. Pastrana raced one somewhere at some point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Travis raced for me. Um, Albi raced uh, the Elsinore Grand Prix on one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had a good story, actually. We we went and tested with him, and I kind of called him. I go, I go dude, you can't jump these like you're used to because yeah. we would bend frames every week. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so we went to Elsinore, and I think he – finished about eighth in the pro race it was like a two-hour race and at one point it was towards the, the latter part of the race and uh watts came by him mm-hmm. and uh, he came in after the race he goes he goes hey he goes what was watts he doing so so far back there i said son he was lapping you yeah <laughs> he was like what <laughs> so then he i think his comment was uh yeah you off-road guys don't get paid enough for what you're doing yeah. that was his final comment so yeah which is probably very true very true um, yeah yeah Hey, uh, let's talk about last year a little bit. Uh, uh, frustrating year for you. You had the defending champion, um, Supercross and Motocross, Ryan Dungey. He, as we all know, he left. He went to KTM. Um, what What was last year uh, in your books? How would you grade it? It had to have been a rough like introduction for you, a guy you know, uh, coming in for Roger DeCoster, and you got the defending champion, and then you know some things went wrong that re- really weren't, your fault, but you know, as the lead guy, people look at you. So, uh, yeah, I'd yeah, have been frustrated. You got to yeah. take responsibility for it. Um, I, I think the key word was challenging. Um, mm-hmm. if that's a, a good way yeah. to look at it, right. uh, you're right. Um, coming in, um, obviously it was a, it was a difficult situation, uh, with Roger leaving and Ryan's relationship with Roger that put me in, in a, weird position with Ryan and right. uh, he's a great kid and, and uh, you know I got nothing but good things to say about him but I don't think he and I ever ever really established a relationship where he could trust me and right. and we could work really closely together you know it was always a somewhat guarded relationship um, on his side but I understood you know um, yeah. I I understood Roger you know the relationship they established the success they had and the way the whole thing kind of um, the divorce happened at the end with Suzuki and, and DeCoster. Right. It had a huge effect on Ryan. So mm-hmm. that that being said, that's how we started the season. So yeah. um, and then then you know you throw in um, the added competition of last year. Um, you know everybody back in the game, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that we you know we did have issues at certain events, and it was it was challenging. I I was really proud of the way the team responded. You know. Um, we all had to come together, overcome that. There was unbelievable media focus on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to deal with, through all that, you know, it, it got really trying. You're, you're just trying to win races, and, and yet at the same time, it seems like you're always trying. You're defending yourself or protecting yeah. your team, you know, and, and it, right. it really it was challenging. That's the word I keep going back to. But, but looking back on it, you know, we, we fought hard for both championships, it was up and down, highs and lows, mm-hmm. but but uh, at the end of the day, I, I was really proud of the way the team did, and I, I thought Ryan did a great job. You know, we we came damn close, both of them, and uh, mm-hmm. and it is what it is. You know, uh, everybody you know keeps on going on, and and you keep on racing, so it was all good. And then, of course, uh, fourth race into the union of yourself and Ryan Dungey, the chain comes off, which I believe, talking to Trey Kennard, he hit him pretty hard in the turn, but I've been there as a former mechanic for 11 years. 
in the end, it doesn't really matter what happened. Uh, the point, the fingers go to, to you or the mechanic. You know what I mean? And uh, oh, absolutely. And, and absolutely. so, you know, the, if you're already, if Ryan is already on guard with you, and and you know, just and then the chain comes off, and I mean, that's a DNF right there. Right. Tough to tough to start off that way, you know. Yeah, it was. Uh, you're right. I mean, Ryan had gotten a really bad start, and uh, he was probably eighth or ninth in Trey, and. Uh, they came into a 180, and, and Ryan just snapped down on it really quick to get the inside mm-hmm. uh, drive back on the next section. And, and Trey had nowhere to go. He was going yeah. into the corner, and, and Ryan had already snapped down on the turn, and, and Trey tagged him, and it was enough to damage the sprocket, and then the chain is that, came up. Is that what um, we think happened? Is that, I mean, did, yeah. you, did, did you deduce yeah, we, that? I know how you guys, We you know. looked at it and looked at it right. and analyzed, you know, the, the damage, and, mm-hmm. and that's what we happened. But... You know, it's the strange thing of racing. You know, almost everything on a race bike has evolved because of either mm-hmm. it failed at one point. You know, we, we took a whole new look at our chain guide system, which had been the same system, I think, for five straight years. Yep. And I think Ricky had one derailment back in the day, I think, or something they said. But uh, yep. but we looked at the system and said, you know, we need to relook at this whole thing. We redesigned the whole system and right. went to a rivet chain. And, and it's like, okay, check that off the list. It'll never happen again. It sucks that it did, mm-hmm. you know, but it'll yeah. never happen again. And he's just yeah. like everything. you got to go on, you know. You know, I, I, as a factory Yamaha mechanic, I was putting rivet chains on, and I was hating it because it's the worst thing to do. And I was like, why are we riveting our chains? And they're like, well, Glover's Masterlink fell off at Binghamton in 83. There you go. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But that's what you do. You learn from it, you know? Exactly. Um, Exactly. And then uh, you had a motor problem at Daytona, which was related to rocks, right? A rock came Yeah, a rock uh, between the counter and the case (laughs) and got wedged. And it's like, and you think about like 2010, you know, Ryan, as far as I know, had no issues. Uh, Carmichael had perfect seasons. You know what I mean? It makes you appreciate the perfect seasons of Ricky uh, and James and all that, even because just stuff just happens and it was like you had to have been wondering some mornings is there a black cloud out is it is there something oh, it, it did it got to a point where <laughs> goose and i would just look at each other and just go what the right you know uh, i mean it, it's like the case situation of, of course once it goes viral that you know that you know we we blew up at daytona and, mm-hmm. and dnf again we actually didn't he actually did make it in the main actually yeah. did get on the podium yep. Yep. but there everybody's saying, yeah, yeah, you know, transmission parts blew out of the lower end of the case. It's like, no, damage was from the outside of the case in. But but again, how do you go back and tell everybody, no, 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 wait, here's what happened. You know, you you can't. And you don't have the time, and you're already focused on the next week. So Mm -hmm. you just... You get thick skin. Like we said, we used to just spray silicone on our back. You can let it run off your back. Yeah. You got to let it run off your back. So. Yeah, no. You know what? I, I've been there on a team and having DNFs and having these problems. And, yeah, you're right. You're like, you guys, you know, it just – crap happens. It's motorcycle racing, and this is yeah. the way it goes, you know. It's incredibly – I mean, if you had went through 2011 with zero problems and, it, and, and the same things happened in 2012 – it wouldn't be that big of a deal as far as Mike exactly. Webb is concerned because you've been there yep. for a year, you know? Yep. Um, exactly. And it's, it's kind of you build up a little bit of credit as it goes. I hate to harp on it again, but okay, so Southwick, again, right. mysterious electrical water problem of some sort, right? <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, and, it, you know, <laughs> Southwick was amazing because, you know, we won the first moto. Yep. And, uh, and we'd overcome – Freestone, you know, the deficit of Freestone, 
which uh, which was another mind-boggling situation. It's it's like, wait a minute, that's the exact same tank as last year, yeah. same fuel, yeah. the the same uh, map. How is this even possible? Right. You know, uh, we we were so stunned. Mike and I were just like, we we can't even fathom how this happened. But yeah. for for whatever reason, the conditions, whether the the sand was more moist and it was more load load on the motor, whatever it was mm-hmm. that. It got hot, it vaporized, and it ran out of fuel. Yeah. Um, but again, it's the serendipity of the uh, the same scenario with the chain guide. It's like, okay, we we have to go to a bigger fuel tank. We had gone we had gone bigger for that tank the year before. They had gone bigger, but mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to think off road here. I'm not taking any chances. Right. So right. we we had a, another, I think, almost a liter added. Um, we had a tank made in, in Europe and. Uh, because I, this will never happen again. Yeah. It's like, it yeah. sucks that it happened, but I have to fix it so it never happens again. And then go on, and that's that's what we did. Yeah. Then we get to Southwick. We kind of climb back. Ryan Ryan really, you know, think about it after Washougal, he pulled within one point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's like, okay, all right, think we're, we're okay again. And then he, <laughs> uh, Unadilla, he gave up six points. He, RV just pretty much handed it to him there. Yeah. And then, but Southwick, it's like, he wins the first moto. It's like, damn, we're in this thing. Yep. And then Mike does his, his maintenance in between motos. You know, uh, Matty's mechanic does his. And uh, Mike goes to fire up the bike. You know, he's all done. The horn the horn sounds. Mike yep. fires the bike. starts up at idles. We're like, okay, done. Just putting on his goggles. We shut the bike off. Talk to Dungey for a minute. He goes, gets on the bike, starts kicking it, and won't start. Yeah. The, the, it's like the thing was just idling. I was watching it idle, you know. And I'm looking yeah. at Mike. I go, "This can't friggin' be happening again." Right. And and it was. And it turned out, you know, uh, it was electrical. It was an issue, actually, a stator-related issue that we found out about that mm-hmm. we, you know, since looked into. And and right. again, that won't happen again. But right, right. It certainly did last year. Uh, so. But yeah. then, but then Ryan puts in what I thought was the ride of the year. I thought it was his best performance of the year was that second moto at Southwick. On a track that's and, not easy to pass on either. It's not easy. Yeah. You're eating sand the whole time. Yeah. In those conditions, and he gave up one point. He gave mm-hmm. up six points the week before yep. in perfect conditions. He yep. gave up one point with all that drama at Southwick. So we were still kind of in the fight at that point. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast show. It's that time. Time for a commercial. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex field gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. 
By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and is now getting set to launch its all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over, so go visit your local dealer for more information or log on to JTRacingUSA.com to find a dealer near you. Exactly, and it's got to be just incredibly frustrating for you because you've got Mike Gosler, you know, you've got Pat Alexander, you got yourself. You guys, this isn't your first rodeo, you know what I mean? It's not right. like right. you guys are banded together and you just form some sort of, you know, hillbilly race team. So, yeah. <clears throat> it, it was for me as on the outside, as a guy on the outside, but a guy who's been inside. I'm like, wow, just you know, we had a year like that with with Chad Reed, uh, one of the first years of four strokes. Shit was just happening, and we're just like, yeah. uh, it just seemed like it would, wouldn't stop. We'd send a swing arm to Japan to get analyzed because the chain came off at Redbud, and they come back and go, yeah, no, everything's fine, you know. And we're just like, yeah. you know, where do you begin? How do you start saying this stuff? We we had bearing retainer bolts come out of the of the cases. They would break off, and they were brand new. And they, you know, we were told that they would last for sure ten hours, and then they just kept breaking. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, right. you know, there's ways to analyze bolts and things like that, and, and lock and lock tight and tightening and all that. And it's just you begin to get as a team begin to get a little paranoid and wonder what's going on. Yeah, you do. You yeah. do because uh, it's it's motorsports, and we all know that they're mechanical. You know, issues when you have moving parts, they they break. You know, yeah. um, you can get a brand new car, drive it off the lot, and something will go wrong with it. And you got to take it and have it repaired. Mm-hmm. Things. Things go wrong with mechanical, you know, um, yeah. pieces. But it's just strange when it's when you have almost a perfect year the year before with no issues, mm-hmm. and the next year these these just wacky grim yeah. showing up where you're you're just scratching your head, going, I, "What's going to happen next?" I just I don't believe anything anymore. You know, <laughs> and, and it, you, it really got frustrating. It's yeah. not like you brought out a new bike either. You know what I mean? No, it, tried no, and true thing. Was, yeah, yeah, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. It, yeah. It's funny. I remember Goose after Freestone. You know, we that night and we're, we're pretty down in the dumps. And uh, he goes, Mike, he goes, I remember Southwick one year, Ricky won, and he's up in the podium and he's waving. And Goose and, and we're down there, you know, blow the podium with the right, bike. And right. and they should take out the cap and check in, you know, see, see how much fuel we got left. Mm-hmm. Can it, shaking it. There wasn't a drop in the thing. Yeah. If that if that finish line, if that podium had been five feet more, he yeah. would have run out of gas. Yeah, but yeah, Ricky's yeah. up there waving on right. the first season <laughs> because it wasn't going to happen that season. It just yeah. wasn't going to be that way. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do about it. You uh, know, it's it's tough. You just got to get really thick skin sometimes. Uh, and then how much gas did Metcalf have in Texas? Or he was he close to? No, he did the same. His vaporized too. Yeah. And actually, from from the podium back to the truck, his ran out. But oh. then when they both cooled back down. Yep, there was fuel in the tank. Yeah, yeah, came came, came back. Um, yeah, came back liquid. Uh, now at Southwick, we had known that Ryan, you'd lost Ryan. He was going on to KTM. I'm curious, in your opinion, just as as a guy that knows, what was the deciding factor? Do you think Roger DeCoster at KTM or Suzuki problems that sent him to to Orange? What do you think? Money uh, or money? Was it money? No, I think without a doubt it was. Um, to work with Roger again. Yeah. I, I really think he had made up his mind once the decision with Roger had gone down the year prior. Yep. Um, I think I figure what that might have been at Southwick the year before when it was announced that Roger was leaving or yeah. when Ryan found out. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think right there he had made up his mind. It's like, okay, I'll get through my contract and mm-hmm. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back with you. Right, right. And so the, the, the you never really had any discussions. 
no, or a little no, bit. I mean. We, you know, we made him an offer, and and it kind of went back and forth. And he was talking, I think, with Fonda and with Keith mm-hmm. at the team or at the time. Uh, but I, I kind of knew all along. Yeah. It wasn't. It was like, yeah, it's a no brainer. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt. But hey, you you almost landed James Stewart. Um, I did one of these with James maybe um, two weeks ago, and he talked a lot about it. Um, and uh, you guys came close, just didn't make it happen. Yeah, I. Uh, that would have been awesome. I, I right. tell you, it was. Um, it was really cool working with I mean we just we basically got to work together for a week but uh it was a really fun week um and uh and unbelievable to see him in his own environment you know mm-hmm. away from the spotlight and just on his track uh he was just unreal and mm-hmm. uh that was a lot of fun I'm I'm really bummed it didn't work out you know they they say things work out for a reason and whatever um you know it's probably true but but it would it would have been awesome, and it was, even that week was was worthwhile because uh, mm-hmm. it was it, we still talk. Me and the guys that went down still talk. It was just a <laughs> yeah. it was a really bitching week. So well, I believe, and I don't think uh, I don't know what you can confirm or what you know, but I believe he'd been on a Suzuki for a long time and really liked the bike. So right yeah, away, you guys yeah. were he went out. I mean, from what I from what I know, he he went out and bought a Suzuki and a Honda mm-hmm. um, somewhere early in the summer, I think. Yeah. And uh, and just rode him back to back, and then uh, and he he just called me up one day. He goes, "Hey, I, I got a Suzuki, and and I like this thing, and maybe we can do something." And I mean, it started. Yeah, you're like, like you and I talked about it at Redbud. Yeah, we did. We talked yeah. at Redbud because I'd heard from uh, somebody that was uh, close to him that he'd been riding a Suzuki and he loved it. And uh, yeah. I started putting two and two together and thinking, well, maybe this is going to happen because I knew Ryan was one foot out the door a little bit, you know. So right, right, um, yeah. Uh, but that would have been, been awesome. That would have been great. Yeah. He he. Yeah. Um, what what happened to that deal? What do you think? How close did you come? What was the decide? I mean, I gotta think three years, a lot of money, and some race car promises uh, tip the scales. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if. I could be completely wrong right. here, but I don't think if money was as much a factor um, mm-hmm. as the job security of the three years. Yep. I think I think James is looking at you know a two to three year window in his career that he wants to accomplish a lot of things. Right. Um, and he wants he doesn't want to enter into a one year deal, do all this, get everything all built up and run, and then have to go through this whole scenario again. Right. And we just couldn't get the commitment from Suzuki for a multi year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe at the very last second they came through, right. and it was it was too late. But I think it just came down to the to the security. Yeah, yeah I, the the car deal at the end. I think those are all cool perks that that had him interested. But mm-hmm. that guy wants to win races. Yeah. He wants to he wants to make a statement these next couple of years, and and he doesn't want to be you know messing around, changing shit up. And and I think I think really that was the driving force behind it. I saw a video of him on a Suzuki maybe uh, a month ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was sped up. <laughs> I'm serious, Mike. I don't know if it was sped up, but he looked really fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, he you know. he was he was we we were, I watched him do 140 laps in three days, and I watched him make one mistake. Yeah, he lost the front front end in a turn. Right. I mean, uh, I was I was stunned at that. When, when you see him on a course by himself with mm-hmm. with no BS around him and just him motoing, yeah. and he, he is it's. I don't know. It's just that he's, chance to maybe you know 
seeing Rossi at his greatest or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, Senna at his greatest. It, it's that equivalent where you're going, shit, this is, this is a pretty cool thing I'm watching right here. So yeah, he's enjoy phenomenal. it. You know? He's phenomenal. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. no, no doubt about it. Um, hey, I'd heard from some people that Ryan just wasn't happy with his, with his bike last year as far as the setup and, and this and that. I mean, obviously he had ridden the KTM at some point. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, this is how these things happen. Uh, was do you think he was happy with the bike? Do you think the 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 motorcycle itself ever came into the equation? Because obviously he won a lot of races and titles on that thing. But um, I don't know. I kind of heard some rumblings that you know he wasn't pumped on the on the suspension and, and the handling of the bike. Yeah, I don't know because in all honesty, it didn't change that much. It I mean it really didn't. And and Ryan rides at the you know uh, same facility every day during the week. Right. Um, once once he leaves California. So all his test information, when he's doing his, his own riding and his own training, it comes from the same exact spot every week. And then you're going to a different track every week, which right. is necessarily like the one he's been riding on all week. So he would come up with ideas, you know, like I changed this, you know, high speed mm-hmm. change or a clicker change here and there or fork height change. And and uh, we'd talk about it and say, okay, well, let's, you know, maybe try it. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, invariably – after the first practice, he would always switch back. He would yep. automatically switch back to the setting it was, just like that comfort setting. It's like, okay, it's race day, and there's a lot of crap going on. Let me just deal with the race, put yeah. it back. Yeah. Um, but it's like the days he won at, you know, Washougal and Millville and South, right. the, the motors that he won, that, that first moto in Texas when he ran out, that bike was working pretty damn good. Yeah, so, phenomenal ride at I Millville. Great yeah. ride at and, Millville. And yeah. the, the days he wasn't... Um, you know, Unadilla, I think Barsha just totally got in his head in practice, and and it kind of screwed him for the whole day, and he, he just didn't ride well there. Yeah. Um, Steel City, I, it's not that he rode bad, but I've seen him ride a lot better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it, that, But the second moto at Colorado, the, the guy was friggin' unbelievable. Yeah. You know, he, he just killed it. So I don't know if, if that's true. I, I think... I think as the year went on and it's going through his head, it's hey, I, I'm I'm going to make this change. Yeah, the deal's you know, done. I know I'm going to do it. And yeah. man, this doesn't feel that good today. And you know, RVs just beat me straight up. I, I think this this thing's a pile now. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, as a rider, yeah, yeah. You, you just all sorts of things enter your head. So yeah, but, no, but it's I don't, a, I don't yeah. think it was the bike. To it's the truth. it's a lot of psychological stuff, no doubt about it. Um, sure. Hey, uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, your your promotion to sideways move to the team. Did you know it was coming when Roger left? Uh, were you like looking around, going, "Well, there's no one else. They're probably coming to me." <laughs> no, not at all. Oh. Not at all. I I was completely content mm-hmm. um, with uh, the GNCC. I, you know, we um, Strang. It was kind of the scenario with Roger and, and um, Dunge. I we brought Strang in as a 17 year old nobody from from Australia right. and kind of, you know, saw something and groomed him and then got him to the championship. And yeah, it was, it was that smaller world of off road, but for, for me and the crew, it was, mm-hmm. it was a great feeling. It's like, and this is what you want to do. You find yeah. this unknown kid and you slowly bring him up and you get him better and better. And then he wins the, you know, the biggest championship in the, in the U S. Mm-hmm. So I was happy. Everything was cool. And then just one day they gave me a call and, and asked me if I'd be interested. So that was the first I'd heard about it. Yeah, and and then for you, so no no brainer, like just uh, just time to switch it up and time to try something new. Yeah, I had to think about it. Did Honestly, you? I was yeah. really happy where I was. Yeah, um, and you know, I got kids, and I'm and I'm looking at the travel schedule. Right. And going, man, right. 
you know, don't want to do that. And uh, but at the same time, it's the highest level. It, you know, it goes back to that carrot of man. This is that's the top it. of the heap yeah. right there. It, it's the the best equipment, the best technology, the best riders. You know, it's like, geez, I, I do want to. I do piece yeah. of that. So yeah. yeah, I ended up going with it. Uh, how big of a blow is it to your program when uh, Mike Gosler Goose uh, uh, took a, took a job with Reedy's? Uh, did you see that coming? Did you? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Goose and I are tight. We've yeah. we've known each other for years. We we ride together, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know we talked all along. And um, when Suzuki, you know, when we were getting the kind of the direction that they were they were cutting back again yep. for this year they were going to settle on on just one rider and uh, right. um this this is before the James scenario really got more serious right. um I just told you this, I I said man I I don't I'm having a hard time getting a direction on what the future is here right. um but but it looks like they're they're cutting back again and they're going to sit low kind of sit low for a year and wait for things to pick up right. um if you got an opportunity do jump at it you know yeah because yeah. at this and point then, you knew dungy was leaving so he you didn't necessarily have a guy for him you know yeah yeah exactly and um and i think him and chad just have a great relationship that yeah. you know they've both spoken really highly of him, you know. Yep. When I've talked to Chad, he's spoken highly about Mike and vice versa, and right. and I think it was just a great opportunity for him. So mm-hmm. I, I was pumped, you know. Still, I mean, I still see him as he yeah, actually. I was going to go riding with him last weekend, but he chickened out. I hope he's listening to this. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, hey, what did yeah. you do? Of course, uh, a lot of people know your brother Tom Webb Wolfman mm-hmm. uh, from Dirt Bike Magazine. God, he's been there. Did he? Well, he went to Dirt Rider for a little bit, I think, but. Uh, He's basically yeah. been a dirt bike for a hundred years. Um, right. A lot of people might know your brother. What did you do before you uh, got the Suzuki off-road deal? Uh, what was your sort of career path? Uh, well, I, I raced. Um, you know, uh, local. I made pro locally, and mm-hmm. then um, had great aspirations of going to the nationals. And I got hurt pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, back then, doctors. I actually damaged my kidney pretty bad. And doctors back then were like, "Okay." You know, you can never run or jump or do anything. So um, I actually went back to school and finished my education and mm-hmm. um, and started a family. And then then after a couple of years, I Tom, meanwhile, had switched from – he was local motocross, too, and he switched to off-road, and he, right. and he got really good. He won a national enduro, and he was like a California state champion. And he invited me out one day just to come out and watch his race. And I went out and, and – Looking at the bike, I go, shit, I'm just going to hop on it and just putt around. I hadn't yeah. been on a bike in five years. Uh-huh. And I rode around, and I'm like, God, everything feels good. And next thing I know, I started riding again. So he was at the magazines by then. He he had me come in as a, a test photo model guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I just did I did that for, for years and started racing off-road. Um, and then uh, I did I did that with the magazines for probably – I don't know, six, seven years, yeah. um, just photo model, and I would do uh, photo stuff for Fox and, and things like that. Yeah. Was I, that I did a lot of R&D. I mean, was that what you were making your living? There, there was enough money? No, no, no. I was also working besides that. Okay, all right, yeah. yeah. All right. But it kind of kept my foot It kind of kept my foot in the industry. And, right. then, uh, and then I got a call from Suzuki one day to come do the off-road thing. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing a support, I had a support ride with them for off-road. Yeah. And uh, and Joe Colombero at the time, the manager, he called me and asked me if I'd like to take over the off-road program. And I said, sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and from there, uh, early 90s, so was Rodney already there, or did you bring him? No, he, he was the first guy I ever hired. Okay. First All contract right. yeah. I ever made. Which yeah. is, I mean, he was a you know, top motocrosser. He went to Europe, did pretty well in GPs. And uh, when you hired him, or, or when he came to Suzuki, a lot of people were like, 
uh, what's you know how's this guy going to do? He's a motocrosser. He's not an off-road guy, but he quickly figured it out. Yeah, he uh, Rodney's a great story because you know he, he did pretty well in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Brazil for five years. Right. Um, Yamaha was bringing over U.S. talent to Brazil, and uh, he kicked ass over there. He dominated, won all the Brazilian championships, and when the GPs came to South America, they came to Brazil and Argentina. He rode his for his local team. He he won the GPS and then yeah, uh, against uh, Gabor's back, and all those guys or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He beat him straight up, <laughs> and uh, so then uh, Rinaldi was uh, the Suzuki GP guy at the t- time. He mm-hmm. he offered him a ride in the GPS in Europe, and he went on the factory team. And I think he finished third mm-hmm. in the two fifty, third and fourth or something. But right. at that point, he wasn't. He loved South America, and he wasn't so happy in Italy, and he was kind of burned out, and he came back to the States, and actually, I was racing, um, they used to have these reliability qualifier races, they were like a four-day event, like, okay. a, like a mini six days, and okay. uh, we were racing okay. in Nevada, and I saw, I see this guy in front of me going to the start, and he's in like UFO gear, you know, and I'm like, UFO, <laughs> be, be you, helmet. Europe, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it, and he's on an RM250 with a big tank. That was it. Chesterfield, Jersey. And he, he, uh, he, I think Rossler, Larry Rossler was the reigning hero at the time, right. and Smith just smoked him. Uh-huh. And I'm like, geez, who is this guy? Right. So I ended up talking with him, and, and we worked out a deal, and I think he won. 13 championships or something for me, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he was, he was insanely good. Um, yeah. Uh, to this day, one of the fastest guys you've seen in the woods? I mean. Oh, yeah, and yeah. one of the smartest. Uh, yeah. Rodney, he, he would treat racing. Um, he was so smart about how to break down a race, mm-hmm. you know, how to approach it mentally, and, and that was his strength because, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't try to – you know, smoke everybody on the first lap and get a big lead. He was all, always had a strategy every right. lap of the race, every section of the course. He had a strategy to it, and that was that was his strength. He was great at that. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, and who else did you uh, who else did you get over there? Paul Edmondson was a, a highly touted uh, English English uh, enduro rider when you brought him over. Yeah, actually, it's funny because Paul Paul was the reigning world champion the year before, the world enduro champion, and. Right. I met. We were all at um, Cooper. Was Guy Cooper was on my team for a couple of years. And we were at Coop's, <laughs> yeah, I you know, forgot Oklahoma. About that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Uh, we were there for. We, we used to go down there for like two weeks at a time and just moto all day. And hey, I did one great time. I did one of these with Coop's. By the way, sorry to interrupt you. Very bitter at Suzuki at the end of his motocross career. Very bitter. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny how it worked out because they pretty much. Uh, you know, he was the best Suzuki Supercross guy for yeah. like the last three years of his career, and he would go on and say, "Hey, I was top guy again," and they go, "Yeah, but you're another year older." Yeah. So, yeah. so he would never get the, and it's like you know they would give it to Swank or or Ezra, whoever the young kid was at the time. Right, right. But yeah, Coop, he he didn't get treated fairly with that deal at all. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, but, yeah. But anyway, get back to the story. Yeah, we uh, so we were at Coop's, and it was they had the um, six days in Oklahoma that year. It was in the United States, and so we were all at Coop's a couple of weeks before training, and uh-huh. Edmondson came over just to go riding, and I'm watching this guy ride, and it, it's funny because he reminds me so much of Wyndham as, as far as sheer talent on a motorcycle. Oh, he was good, and, huh? Yeah. Yep. Oh, he was, he was, because he had that, you know, he had a trials background, so he's, he's like a caddy and, and um, those top and David Knight guys, yep. those guys now, everybody's like, God, they're balanced. Well, Edmondson was doing that back in the early 90s, you know, but, uh, so we worked out a deal. We brought him over to the team, and uh, actually, he uh, 
first couple of races, he just killed it. He, I think he would have destroyed him, and uh, he had a bad, a bad get off. I forget where we were, some GNCC, but he got off and just straight into a tree with his knee and broke his leg really bad. Oh, really? And after yeah. that, yeah, after that, he was gun shy. Just like he just was never the same guy after that. But as far as the talent, he. He would do things. We would go out just like on a, a poster shoot day. You know, you got all the riders and you mm-hmm. go shoot, you know, photos for the posters. Yeah. And the guy would be doing stuff where Rodney and whoever the other, uh, maybe it was Kudrowski or C. Hatch, they would just, they wouldn't even ride their bike. They're going, I'm not going to go ride. Look what the guy's <laughs> doing. You know, really? <laughs> he, huh? he was that good. Yeah. 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 Wow. He, he he did the first front wheelie I ever saw in my life. We we were testing one day, and he he came off the track, and the and the truck was quite quite a bit from the track and he just starts hauling ass grabbing gears and then he slams this thing into a front wheelie and we're all sitting there watching like what the hell <laughs> and he rode it on the front wheel up to the stand and then dropped it on the stand wow. and then got off the bike and we went okay i guess that's how you do that yeah, he's like a jmb of uh, enduro riding it, or whatever exactly yeah. yeah he never i mean people have no it's like cooper people have no clue the talent those guys had. Yeah. You know, they never got to see that side. So Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, Steve Hatch, another guy, a gnarly trainer, uh, in super good shape. He won some races for you, too. Yeah, he did really well. And, and one of those super good guys that mm-hmm. everybody wants to cheer for, you know, always smiling. Probably the most positive person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. I never saw him in a bad mood. I never saw him pissed off. Yeah. Just a delight to be around. And, and, and like you said, an incredible trainer and um, he needed to. The way he rode, rode a motorcycle, he used a lot of energy, so <laughs> he, he needed to be in great shape. Um, uh, and then, so is there one thing about the off-road uh, deal that you sort of uh, regret, or one thing that you wish would have worked out better, or worked out uh, better for a guy, or for for um, anybody like that that you can think of? Not, not really. Um, and looking back on it, um, not not really. I no. mean, more. Not no regrets, more of just more proud moments. You know, things right. we accomplished. You know, I, I, there was they all seemed like just a lot of good times. You know, mm-hmm. I know there were bad times, but I guess over the years you kind of forget those <laughs> and just remember the good stuff. Uh, Mike Krudowski, I did one of, again. I did one of these with him a while ago. Got to be the most understated four-time motocross champion, motocross the nations champion, you name it, uh, supercross winner. One of the most understated champions ever. Um, ever. Yeah. He just didn't have. There's no ego there with that guy. Nothing. No, and that's. I think that's one of the coolest things about him is you would never know what he accomplished. You would never have any idea if you talk because he'll never talk about himself. No. And I, and I always I got tremendous respect for people like that. Medi's that way. Yeah. You no, know, he doesn't. He doesn't wear his resume on his sleeve. You know, you, you got to dig it out of him. It's like, God, you're some radical athlete. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, Kudrowski is the same way. A, a great friend to this day. Uh, hero. I, I said to him, I said, Mike, uh, you you retired. You were national number five, which is you know back then was when they ranked you, and you know you were still a badass guy on Cowie. And why'd you quit? And he's like, Brian Lunas told me to. And I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> he's just like, yeah. Brian said, you know, yeah, you're done. You're not going to win anymore. So I said, okay. I'm just like blown away. Like in this day and age, where guys. I mean, nowadays, guys are riding until 34, 35. Look at Wyndham, Ferry, right. Larocco. Uh, Mike quit when he was 27, 26, or whatever, what, you know? 
And it's, it's funny, too, even when, it, when I got him, when I hired him for off-road, I had to convince him for like six months. And he was, <laughs> he was working as an electrician. He, he had made plenty of money yeah, racing. right. And, and basically, he was kind of bored out of his brain. So he went and he goes, yeah, his dad was a contractor. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of become an electrician. Yeah. And he did. He was working for probably, I don't know, 12 bucks an hour as an electrician. <laughs> and I had to spend six months like, dude, don't you want to go racing again? I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll pay you good money to go racing. And then finally he goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And I think he had a blast. I think, I mean, we were together five or six years, yeah. I think. But I, I think he had a lot of fun and and really, and to this day, I still go riding with him all the time. So. He, he never got the GNCC stuff down that well, did he? The woods just... No, uh, just... he couldn't get it. He uh, he came so close, he got a million seconds. Yeah. But, um, but Rodney would always... <laughs> Rodney would always get him in the end, but yeah, uh, yeah. In, in that tight stuff there, he he did struggle. I think just growing up in in SoCal, where right. it's so dry, no trees. But when we do the works, it would be the opposite. He would he would beat Rodney every single time, right. and Rodney could never beat him. So he, he kind of got his revenge there. So. Uh, you still follow the off road stuff? Uh, obviously, Strang, oh, yeah. Strang's buddy, yours still. And uh, he he man, I thought he was going to repeat. He had some good, a good first half. Um, uh, works and GNCC series. Uh, what do you think of them? What What's the? How are they run? How are they do? What would you like to see different? Um, what, what's your thoughts on well, that? Well, um, they're they're so different. They're completely yeah. different animals. Um, GNCC is it's tight woods, and you're not going to get that out here. So you you can't replicate it out yeah. here. You can't even base it off something like that unless you go up to you know, Washington or something. Right. Um, obviously, you have. The Coombs running the GNCCs, and those people know how to put on a race. So you get the the pageantry and that 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 giant feel of a of a uh-huh. national event with that. Um, the the final of the GNCCs in Indiana, they I think one year they had almost twenty thousand spectators. It was, wow, they they yeah, did better yeah. than a bunch of the nationals did that year. So yeah. so that part is it's a really big show. It's a really huge event. The works are much smaller. Um, I think. The depth in the works, talent-wise, is higher mm-hmm. um, as far as the pro level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is this isn't diminish, to diminish the GNCC guys at all. But the top ten works guys, uh, they could probably they could all score points in an outdoor national. Right. You know, they, they wow. can jump anything, but they can then do enduro cross too. So yeah. it, they're they're completely different. I, and I I used to always dream in off road that we could somehow have a, one championship to announce the best rider in the United States. And in our country, that's really difficult to do because the very terrain is, is so different. Yeah. You know, you, you get, you look at Kirk Caselli who dominates in the West, Yeah, but I, I think he got one podium when he raced the GNCC that year. He could not get it in the woods, yeah. but, but he can go to Europe and, and win his class in, in six days and, and he can kill it in the desert here. So they're just different animals. So it, it's just the way it is. Yeah, no, I thought there was talk of uh, putting a race in Texas or something and having the best of the West and the East, but like you said, super hard to to, du- to duplicate both terrains. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you could ever do it. Um, give me your best super hunky story. Do you have any? Super hunky, jeez, I, I remember it. I mean, was I, that I before do, your time? Maybe <clears throat> no, because no? I was doing uh, I was doing photo stuff. You know, right. uh, action photos for him and. It got to be a joke at the very, at the last couple of years he was there. It's uh-huh. like, all right, I, I need to shoot some churn shots. You know, you do a weedy out of a churn or something. Right, and, right. and he's like, you know what? Can we? Can you just do it closer to the truck here? Because it would be like cold outside. <laughs> he wouldn't like, get out of his truck. Oh no! Come on, really? 
Yeah, yeah, it was stuff like that. But that guy was a riot. He was really quick-witted yeah. and, and funnier than hell. Yeah, he I, was funny. I tracked him down for one of these uh, maybe two years ago, and he told me some stories that, I mean, I, I, maybe they're made up, but if they're not, they're they're gnarly. Yeah, from back, yeah. Up, back in the 70s. So, um, uh, <clears throat> hey, uh, one of the things I want to ask you about, Matt LeBlanc uh, from Friends, uh, a friend of yours, right? Because I've seen you guys in magazines, and Matt rode a Suzuki for a while doing something or another. Uh, are you still friends with him? You still keep in touch with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been we've been buddies since uh, maybe before a year friends? before friends. Yeah, yeah, the year before. I actually had to uh, I had to teach some celebrities how to ride for some TV thing we were doing, okay. and um, that's where I met him. And uh, we just hit it off, you know, yeah. just just as buddies and. Uh, and I remember uh, later that year I was racing Mammoth, and I said, "Hey, I'm going up to Mammoth. If you want to come up?" And yeah. and we, you know, we hung out for a week. And he was like, "He goes, yeah, I just did this pilot. It might be pretty big. It's about these, you know, these six, you know, yeah. guy, um, guys and girls together, and all these things happen in New York." I go, "Oh, right on, man. You're like that works. You're like that's so dumb. That'll never work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Billion dollars later, I guess it works. So. Uh, was he just into moto? Like, you guess if you taught him how to ride, so not really. Like, no, no. I, I basically because it was a uh, it was that Shane Dr- uh, Trittler built like this uh, kind of baby supercross track. Okay. It was like way too gnarly for these guys, so it was more <laughs> like a safety thing. Uh-huh. Like, um, but no, he actually his dad was an off road off road back east. He's from Boston, and uh, oh, okay. And Matt, he had like um, what was this trick little Honda's MR fifties or something? Yeah, I think the- he had. Yeah, had MRs. one of those, yeah. and then his dad had a Can Am. So no, he grew up riding. He, oh, okay. He, he's the motohead. Yeah. Oh, okay, and uh, and so yeah, so you've known him before, friends before he became. He's probably a billionaire at this point. Residual checks are rolling in, but uh, yeah. uh, good guy, always into moto, follows the sport, or yeah, absolutely, dude. Yeah. He knows it. He he's so passionate about racing, whether it's MotoGP or or motocross. He oh wow, he, yeah, yeah, uh, he knows everything, um, and. Uh, yeah, follows it, watches every single race, calls me the next day, you know, goes everything. He's got a he's got a really cool ranch up by uh Castillo's ranch and uh uh-huh. he's got trails laid out all over. He's got something like thirty bikes, I think. The, uh-huh. um, between street bikes and dirt bikes. Wow. And, uh, oh, he's really but, into well, it. I didn't know that. I met uh, yeah, I, I met him at uh Nineteen ninety nine Summercross, the race uh, Tim Ferry won, where I where, oh, right. oh, yeah. where we Famous beat one. we beat Jeremy McGrath, uh, mean right. Tim Ferry. Yeah. Um, my my claim to fame. Uh, yeah. uh, listeners, right now who who listen to the show will laugh because I bring it up all the time. But I met Matt at that race. Uh, seemed like a really cool guy, but I had no idea he was. I thought he was just some celebrity, sort of into the sport. I didn't realize he was into it. Into it. Yeah, he's he's more like a, he's real. You know, he likes to fly under the radar. Obviously, I think. Uh-huh. When you get that big, they, you know, you tend to want to shy away from all that. But yeah, when he gets a weekend off, he goes straight to the ranch and he just he just rides, you know. Oh. And, and I try to get up there like this time of the season because I get real good up there with the rain. And, right, and right. we'll just go trail riding for three days. I, you know, I, I talked him into putting a motocross track up there, but he he likes to go trail riding better. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, he loves it, man. He's into it. Wow. Okay. All right. Does he does he have a swimming pool just full of money? Just where you just jump in and you just. <laughs> He's I mean, doing pretty well. Like he's he's got to be just loaded, right? I mean, good God. Yeah, I don't think he has to worry about things. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, oh, that's a cool story. So, what's your what's your biggest, coolest celebrity Matt LeBlanc story? Jeez, 
I, I mean, don't know. what do you I, got? You got We did, we've done a lot of fun things over the years. We we uh, <laughs> we used to go uh, helleboarding in Alaska. Um, you know where you, yeah. you basically go up and you just you, it's cool because it's in Valdez and it's like it's just perfect powder every single day. They just, just drop you off of a you know, helicopter. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was pretty cool. We took um, we took the MGM uh, jet up there one year, which was would really trick. It's you know. Um, I forget how many seats, maybe maybe eight seater. Uh-huh. Um, but it was, you know, it's. I, I think I had a steak salad, and it was like Kobe beef, yeah. you know. And I'm like, holy shit! Now I'm, <laughs> I'm living the high life now. And then, and then Matt was cool enough; he picked up the whole trip and wow. it was things like that. We we got to do a lot of fun stuff like that. So. You're like, hey, Wolfman, I'm hella skiing with Matt LeBlanc right now in Alaska. Check, yeah, check me out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's funny. I, I had no idea he was that hardcore into it. I just knew from magazines that you were sort of buddies with him. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of like a kind of like a modern day Steve McQueen. He's he's an actor and made a lot of money off it. Mm-hmm. Um, but his passion is is you know snowboarding uh-huh. and and trail riding and and that kind of thing. Um, and he just happens to make a lot of money acting. So. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and I don't even know what he's doing now, but I don't know what matters. His, his show got canceled a little while back, but. Yeah, I think he's, he has another show actually on Showtime. He's filming in England right now. Oh yeah. So. Oh cool. Right yeah. On. Um, and I guess he must be pumped too for, with your move over to the Supercross Motocross. Uh, you know, although last year you're probably like, hey, just stay home, Matt. Don't don't come to the races. <laughs> uh, no, I, he was he was really stoked. I mean, he he'd call me every week. Um, you know, when things were when we were talking with James, he's mm-hmm. a super fan of James, and he's like, man, it's going to happen. And what? Oh wow. I was like, oh wow. yeah, and I. I'm saying, man, I hope so. And I would, you know, when we went to Florida, I told him all yeah. about that, and he was totally into it. Oh, that's cool! Right on. That's good to hear. So, uh, so this year, 2012, um, what would you be happy with, uh, uh, Brett Metcalf finishing? What's what's the goals? What's the what's the plan? I mean, it's a super deep class. I was just talking to Eric Kehoe yesterday, and I mean, Honda has six guys that I don't think are ever going to be out of the top ten, but of course they will be. But if you look at their their resume and their talent. It's incredibly deep field. Yeah, it's it's gonna be amazing this year. Um with Brett I I want top five for yep. sure. And yep. I, I expect top five, but like you said, um take the aliens out of the equation and, and <laughs> just that Honda program alone is friggin' amazing. I know. Um then you add R V and the the Cali program right. uh, you know, Dunge on the KTM, it's gonna James, be yeah, it, it, yeah, as good as last year was, uh, this year is going to be unreal. So I think with Medi, our goal is um, is I expect him top five. He is a top five guy. He mm-hmm. needs to believe that. Yeah. Um, we, we need to get that position and then let whatever happens, you know, up front, you know, um, let all that work out, whether it's crashes or they take right. each other out or whatever happens, let right. that but be in a position to capitalize on it. Yeah. And, and, that's what we're going to do. I almost think, like, if you talk to Brett, he's he's a super down-to-earth nice guy. He almost needs to be more of a dick to get up there. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, I don't mean that in well, a mean he's way. He's aggressive on the track, though. I don't think he's someone that you're yeah. ever, that's ever going to pull out of your way. Um, his just demeanor is so, so mellow, you know. Uh, Aussies are funny. Yeah. They're, they're, they're either, like, kind of berserk hardcore like melatonin or or these right. <laughs> just laid back easy going guys and and he is that way um i i maybe think he, on the on the bike he is a lot more aggressive than people think though yeah maybe he needs an entourage maybe maybe that's what he's missing 
I think that's what I like about him, that yeah. he doesn't have one. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't have yeah. a mom and a dad and a gear guy and a, and a man right. friend. And, uh, yeah, I know. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you, you and other, many other managers. Well, hey, um, great, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks for doing the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. I, I super appreciate it. I learned a lot. I learned that Matt LeBlanc and you are really actually real friends. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thanks for calling me up, man. I had fun. Yeah, thanks very much for doing it, and uh, we'll see you at A1, man. Okay, Steve. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200 episode archive, or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.